Hello, Poisonies. We're bringing you a short preview of what is happening over on our Patreon channel at the moment. For anyone who is interested in getting more Poisoners Cabinet content every week, Patreon is the place to be. As we mentioned on the main show, Patreon is a flexible platform that supports creators like us, as well as countless other podcasters, writers, singers, inventors, you name it, they're out there. We are an independent podcast and we do everything ourselves, so support for the show through Patreon really helps us continue doing what we do and it is greatly appreciated. We have two tiers on Patreon. For $5 a month or your equivalent currency, you will get an extra episode every week, The Deadly Nightcaps, as well as ad-free versions of all of our main shows, plus bonus outtakes and video content. On Patreon, we've covered cases like Ed Gein, the Chicago Tylenol murders, Rasputin, Bella in the Witch Elm, Jonestown, and quite a few other so-called cults, as well as witches, wizards, and a load of modern murders too. We also have guest stories and special appearances. We have another tier, $15 a month, the Cyanide Connoisseurs. And on that level, you get everything in the $5 tier, plus an extra exclusive monthly episode, The Case Files of PC Morris, your very own gift pack of Poisonous Cabinet merch, which we will post out to you with a personal message, as well as early access to special videos and some other content. We have a brilliant community on Patreon, and it is especially apt if you're someone who likes to stay off social media or isn't really comfortable on the normal social media channels channels but still wants to have a chat with us in a safe environment. Patreon content does get a little bit more gruesome at times. We delve deep into some of those more modern cases but it always stays fun Everyone is supportive and we love talking to our Patreon fans on there. When you sign up to Patreon, you get instant access to the entire back catalogue of all of our content, more than 100 Deadly Nightcaps episodes. And it is completely flexible should you want or need to cancel any time you have that option. There's also the option of buying an annual subscription, which quite a few of our fans have done as gifts to other people. So here is a clip from a recent episode. In August, we did a recording with a good friend of the show's Tim Cloak, and we wanted to give you a little excerpt of his outstanding story about Heroward the Wake. If you like what you hear, sign up to Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the poisoners cabinet. Well, Nick, we're not alone. We're not. We're never alone. No, not in the universe. But uh, no, this week we are not alone because we have a special guest with us. The much loved, much revered and the much the sweaty, apparently at the moment. The wonderful Tim Cloak is with us for one of his patented stories. Hello, Tim. Hello, Sinead. Hello, Nick. It's uh, it's lovely to be introduced as sweaty on a, a, a on an audio medium where no <laughs> yeah. one would have known if you hadn't mentioned I it. I was trying to think of a third thing and I was just the my mind was racing. The only thing came to mind was sweaty. <laughs> he was saying he was sweaty. To be fair, you can see me on Zoom and I do look very sweaty. <laughs> you don't look sweaty at all, but you said about that you'd been sweating, that you'd been ill, and then just sweat was on the brain for me, clearly. Moving on. Tim, you are joining us from Devon through the magic of the internet. I am. How are you? Well, I'm all right, actually. I've, um, I've just come back from a half marathon, which um, is another reason why I genuinely am sweaty. And so my uh, particular poison today is a nice pint of... 
water mixed with a hydration tablet, which makes it taste slightly worse than an Alka-Seltzer, which I think is saying quite a lot. Sounds delightful. We are having a wild, wild afternoon with our iced lattes mm-hmm. and hydro tab drinks. Yeah, I'm, I'm very impressed that Tim has just run a half marathon. I just about managed to walk about 100 yards to the coffee shop. <laughs> what the hell are you doing running a half marathon? It's your holiday. I know it's my holiday. I've been very much behind on the uh, the London Marathon training. I'm uh, I'm running the London Marathon on October the second, hopefully, <laughs> uh, or walking at this this rate anyway, uh, in aid of the Bone Cancer Research Trust. Maybe I'll get a little plug in for that as well. Maybe I can provide a little of link because uh, all the donations would make a massive difference. But yeah, I mean, I've, uh, as Sinead has alluded to, I had some sort of awful sweating fever, like the like the Tudor sweating sickness. I like to think at the start of the uh, holidays. So I'm feeling very behind, but I'm, I'm delighted to have struggled. Right around uh, the half marathon route today and i'm ready to i've just about got my breath back and i am ready to tell you some stories that is marvelous which was the which was the king or person who did have the sweating sickness well there were quite a few probably the most famous one was uh, prince arthur who was the son of henry the seventh who should have been king yeah. of england but he died from this uh, alleged sweating sickness possibly because he had a bit of a habit for swimming in the thames outside the tower Whoa. of london which at the time was more or less an open sewer <laughs> So that might have been his fault. But of course, that sets in train Henry VIII taking the throne, uh, who then ends up marrying Arthur's widow, Catherine of Aragon. So that's a pretty massive moment in English history there. I love it when Tim's on the show because you can just ask him anything. And he knows all the things. And I'll make up something that sounds convincing. Tell us of it. (laughs) Tim has lovingly agreed to join us today because Tim has been doing his own little research down in the wilds of Devon and has found a few stories for us. So we're going to have some more stories from Tim in the future as well. First of all, though, Tim, we have to ask, and you too, Nick, anything or anyone you would like to poison this week? Nick, you go first. Well, no, I say I'm a bit befuddled about where it is. So, so far, no one has irked me sufficiently (laughs) to, to warrant a... To warrant a good old-fashioned poisoning. No, so no, I'm... nobody and no thing. Y- yes. <laughs> <laughs> you are befuddled. I'm and befuddled. I'm also speaking in riddles, apparently. <laughs> Tim, anything or anyone you would like to poison? Um, I'm feeling f- fairly kind today because I'm pretty sure that whatever sickness I had two weeks ago was a poisoning. And I'm pretty sure it was Nick. <laughs> I-, I don't feel like I want to do that to anyone else. So, uh, no, I'm all right for the minute. Nothing I want to poison right now. I'm sure that will change when term restarts. <laughs> Indeed. I won't poison anything this week. Will I? I don't know. Disappointing protein snacks. I'll poison those. I'm on a lot of those Mm. at the moment. And it's just cheese disguised as crisps. (laughs) Just eat some cheese. I do. It doesn't need to be disguised as anything. I know. I just spent money when I could have just had some cheese from the fridge. I was like, oh, what's it? Oh, it's just cheese. But anyway, let's get on with the story. Is everyone ready for a story? Oh, yes. Tim. Do you have a lovely tale for us today? I certainly do. Now, this one, I, you know how I like to do things a little bit differently. Um, the murder in this story is actually what happens. <laughs> I didn't agree to this. <laughs> well, the murder in this story actually happens pretty early early doors. And this is very much a tale of revenge. Now, uh, the Poisonous Ooh. Cabinet, you're famous for doing historical murders and macabre cases. And uh, you often go back hundreds of years, don't you? You go back to the 1800s, you go back to the 1700s. Ooh, yeah. How does the year 1070 sound for you? 
Oh my god, it sounds delightful. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, it sounds like a hellish time, actually. I, I wouldn't want to go there. There weren't a lot of custard pie fights going on and people enjoying themselves and, and things. But th- there was <laughs> some fun to be had by then. Maybe uh, as we get into our discussions, you'll find out a little bit more about the craziness of Anglo-Saxon law and order and the ways in which people used to settle their scores, because that's actually quite an important part of this. This is set during Sweet. a time of great transition when the usual ways in which someone would settle their scores after a murder were not available because the country had just been invaded. So we are looking today at the rebellion of Hereward the Wake. Have you heard of it before? Uh, No. Yes. We've got a no and a yes. The the yes was sort of unsure. No, 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 I haven't. I'm I'm lying. Sinead lies. Well, I'll tell you what, (laughs) I will just introduce what you've got to look forward to. We get straight into it. If you want to ask me any questions, you know what to do. Just, Just ask away. So this is a tale of exile, murder, betrayal, and an old woman showing her ass to an army. This is the story. Well, this is a strong start, isn't it? This is the story of the legendary Anglo-Saxon warrior, Hereward the Wake. So first I'd like to introduce our central character. Perhaps unsurprisingly, given the scarcity of solid evidence in the 11th century, not much is known about his childhood. Yay! Nice. Although some sources suggest that uh, our, our man Hereward the Wake was the son of Leofric, the Earl of Mercia, and Lady Godiva. Yes, oh. that one what rode the horse. The one that rode the horse, nude. In the buff, yes. Yeah. Although I must admit that other sources seem to favour the view that this is complete bollocks and he was born in what is now Lincolnshire. <laughs> okay. um, but what is certain is that he was a high-ranking thane, so he was a member of the Anglo-Saxon aristocracy, and actually he was really well-named because Hereward literally means guardian of the army. So Hera being the old English for army and ward being like to ward things off. So this is the origin of his name. So whether Hereward decided to devote the rest of his life to trying to live up to this really badass names or not, I'm not sure. But actually his actions seem to suggest that that's exactly what he did. So the earliest records that we have of Hereward as a, a real individual is that he fell out with his dad to the extent that his dad massively overreacted and had him exiled by King Edward the Confessor. Now, as family fallouts go, that's a pretty dramatic (laughs) fallout, isn't it? I like it, though. I like that energy. Yeah, It's the sort of thing that would happen in your family. Oh, oh, absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I used your spoon. You are exiled! Uh, I mean, just talk about a a troubled teenage son, but there we go, he gets kicked out of the country. Um, (laughs) So if it's even possible to know even less about what he did while he was on exile, then, you know, uh, we do know actually even less about that. But we've got a couple of records to uh, Hereward, who's serving in the forces of Baldwin of uh, of Flanders, who was uh, a a kind of a, a duke of the time who was very powerful in the north of, of Europe. The other thing that he seems to have done is he served in the army of a man called Robert the Frisian. I say he was a man. He could be a cow. I'm it's, not I was sure. going to say. <laughs> uh, I'll be honest, I've got so little evidence for Robert the Frisian as well that, I, in fact, I'm going to say he was a cow because I've got no evidence to contradict that. Wonderful times with that cow. The other bit of evidence we've got of Hereward at this time is that he found his wife. Found so he, he married a German and French wife called Turfida. Um, who was so impressed by his exploits in battle that she fell in love with him before they even that's met. That's romantic. And uh, that's something that I really aspire to. I mean, it's a bit stalkery. It's a bit, I hear you've killed many men. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that she hung fine tapestries of his exploits all over the walls. Yeah, turf at a four Hereward, and, you know, it all ended happily for them, uh, supposedly, and uh, they got married, so that's really nice. However, all good things must come to an end, and this was especially true for two things that were dear to Hereward. The first, in 1066, was the end of Anglo-Saxon England, with William the Bastard's Norman invasion and conquest. 
Ah. Yeah, a bit of a bump in the road. The second <laughs> thing to end was the reign of Baldwin V, which became far more difficult for him to do after his death in 1067. However, Hereward seems to have seen this as something of an opportunity. After all, it was Edward the Confessor who had exiled Hereward, and he's now dead. Edward, quite famously, had died heirless without anyone to take over the crown after okay. him. I was going to try and get in some sort of like a weak pun about being airless and breathing his last, but it kind of works on paper better than him. <laughs> yes, explain it more. That will make it funny. Um, so anyway, his successor, Harold Godwinson, had died quite famously at the Battle of Hastings because he failed to invent safety goggles before the battle started. <laughs> Hereward decided to try his luck under the new King William, who, of course, by this point, had dropped the title of The Bastard in favour of the title The Conqueror. And who can blame him? A better PR move all round. Yeah, has to be said. Yes. It's no wonder this guy had a massive chip on his shoulder. With, so, who's that over there? Oh, that, that's Duke William The Bastard. Guys, <laughs> can you just stop going on about it? But there we are. He, he did a pretty good job of invading England and uh, then tries to live up to his name. Because, actually, when we get Harrowwood coming back to England, things did not go that well for him right from the start. The truth is that William the Bastard was, in fact, a massive bastard. <laughs> Following rebellions in the north of England between 1068 and 1069, William had decided that trying to be in the north of England and trying to govern across the Channel at the same time was too much like hard work, and it would be far easier if there were fewer pesky people to deal with. <laughs> so instead, he spent Christmas Day in 1069, and the third anniversary of his coronation, literally swaggering around York in his crown like a massive prick, <laughs> while for the next six months, his men carried out the harrying of the North, burning villages, murdering the innocent with the guilty alike, as William himself said, and causing a famine that probably killed... 100,000 people in England at this time, which when you consider like the, the population of England was only about 2 million people, that's absolutely that's a lot of people. just horrendous. He did get to swagger around in a crown, which is pretty cool. I feel that's the sort of energy that we can really respect. <laughs> <don't we>? Definitely. <laughs> on, on Christmas Day, just going away, who's king? And just with his best crown on. I mean, there we are. You may as well lead into this completely <laughs> if you're going to be wiping out a chunk of the population. You may as well put I mean, your crown on and strut around. It's something that you so often find with the people who even liked him. Like There, there was a, an Anglo-Norman historian called Oderic Vitalis who said, after William's death saying oh no no he's in hell yeah, he, <laughs> God will damn him for this I, I like the guy but you know he's, he's, he's sure. done enough to get there there is so much more to this story and it only gets better you can hear the rest of that story on Patreon Deadly Nightcaps episode 104 thank you for your time today and we hope you do wander over to Patreon if you haven't already and find out what all the fuss is about and why we keep drinking and keep talking about poison 